I'd like to thank Workplace from Meta for supporting this podcast. To make your place of work a great place to work, visit workplace.com slash human. Leaders have never been challenged in their career as much as they are today. With technology empowering the voices of customers, many leaders are realizing that we're now in a perpetual state of always-on transformation. It's time for disruption, a transformation of leadership, and a transformation of ourselves. But what rules do we play by when you want to create this change? This podcast is about how we as leaders must transform ourselves to make it all work. My name is Charlene Lee, and these are the new rules of disruption. Think about that worst case scenario. For many of us, it's the reason why we don't change, because we fear that this worst case scenario could happen to us. Let me share with you when my worst case scenario happened to me. I started Altimeter Group in 2008, just by myself for a year, just trying to figure out what direction it was going to be in, and then added four new partners. Really grew very quickly. And as people came and left, in the end, we were at a point where we could really grow substantially more. And in 2013, 2014, I started investing heavily in that growth but I also was not keeping as close an eye on what the financials looked like, and especially my cash. And just within a few months, my worst case scenario happened. I ran out of cash. And I realized it far too late to be able to make any sort of structural changes. So my only option in the end was to lay off people. Now, as the owner of the company, as the founder, as the leader, I felt an overwhelming feeling of shame, of personal responsibility, that it had come to this, that I had failed my team members, but more importantly, that I had failed to reach out to my peers, to colleagues, my network, to help me figure out how to deal with the situation. Instead, what I did was fall into myself and made the situation worse. My resistance to change was driven by that sense of shame of appearing not to be the leader who knew all the answers. And frozen by that fear, frozen by that shame, I just made things worse. So I share this story because if we are able to look at change, to look at the worst case scenario, to deal with failure as something to learn from, rather than having those feelings of shame, we could be in such a better place to be able to lead. One of my key learnings from that experience was I needed to be in a much better place to deal with failure myself in order to be the leader I needed to be at that particular moment of crisis. When I was in the midst of this crisis, feeling this, again, overwhelming sense of shame, one of the most important things that it taught me was to reframe and think about the situation in a different way. And it was the thing that kept me from falling into an abyss. We know that leadership is an incredibly difficult and an emotional journey that we have to take. And it's about how we prepare ourselves for these moments of crisis, 
of when we have these emotions of shame that we learn from. And this is the thing that kept me going. I had failed in this moment. Instead of focusing on the failure and what went wrong, I was determined to learn from it, to study it, to understand what I had missed. Despite all of my best intentions, how do I learn from this situation and apply it to the future? By focusing on the study of the failure, I was able to shift the emotions around feeling shame to this feeling of energy and power, of ability to be able to move forward from that setback. This exercise of redefining and reframing failure is one of the key components of being a transformational leader. Because I guarantee you, you are going to fail and you will fail in huge, spectacular ways. So be ready for this and be ready to understand and manage the emotion, but be ready with the actual steps that you must take so that even if you're not emotionally there, you can start automatically taking those steps to bring you back into that focus of the transformational change that you want to create. One of the best ways to do this is to establish OKRs, which stands for Objectives and Key Results. It's one of the best ways to set very high goals. These incredible objectives that you know you're probably going to fall short of and miss. And you may be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, why would I set a goal that I know I'm not going to hit? Here's the way to think about it. If you don't set big, huge, audacious goals, then you're going to be setting only goals that you can accomplish, that you are confident that you can hit. And you will only do what you are comfortable with. When you're trying to create change and transformation, you want to be moving and shooting for far into the future, knowing that I may not get there with this try, but maybe I'll get a little bit closer and we can study the gap and get even further along the next time. Let me give you an example. I was working with a university that had set as its fundraising goal for its endowment $2 billion. And they felt that this was a big stretch because their last goal when they last did this was at $1.5 billion, and now they were going to go for two, like a, a huge goal and an extension for what they felt was possible. And I was speaking to the leader and I said, well, what would it take for you to do $3 billion, double what you did last time? what would you do differently? And he immediately responded, oh, I would do things completely differently. I would do this and that and, you know, hire different teams, expend these resources. And I said, well, why don't you do that? And he responded, well, we weren't sure that we could actually hit it. He go, yeah, but what if you could hit 2.7 billion, not hit three, but you'd still be better than the two that you set out originally. And he looked at me, he goes, you know, you got a good point. (laughs) So he went back and retooled his strategy simply by saying, let's shoot for three. We're going to try everything possible to hit three because darn it, it's better than hitting two. And they hit three. They actually hit more than three as a result of this. So how we set goals has a lot to do with how we're going to motivate people to overcome our resistance to that change. Because if we can focus on the key results we want to see rather than numerical goals, that definition of 100% or A++ that we've been trained our entire lives to hit, 
we start thinking about change in a very different way. And we start thinking about the reasons why people truly resist change. And the major reason is, I don't want to change because I don't know how to deal with uncertainty. I don't know what's on the other side, that if I begin this and it works out or doesn't work out, what the consequences for me will be. If you're interested in developing OKRs for your organization, I included a list of resources, articles, and videos in the show notes. Charlene here. If you're listening to this and thinking, I'm ready for more, then I want to let you know about all the resources available on my website, charlinelee.com. There you will find my latest books, articles, videos, courses, and more, all built to help leaders and organizations see the future and thrive with disruption. I've worked with top companies ranging from Adobe to Southwest Airlines. I've also spoken at conferences like the World Economic Forum, World Business Forum, and South by Southwest. And on my website, you will find many of the things I have shared with them. So go now to C-H-A-R-L-E-N-E-L-I.com to transform your leadership today. The one certain thing I can guarantee you about disruptive leadership is that there will be uncertainty. Guarantee it. You can take that to the bank. Because when you're talking about the future, no one knows what's going to happen. And the best way to deal with all of that uncertainty is to develop scenarios. Scenarios that take into account not only the best things that could happen, but also the worst cases. When you lay out all of the scenarios, then you are really understanding the full spectrum of possibilities. And with each scenario, you develop a strategy, a robust strategy to deal with that particular scenario. So that if by some magical way you had a crystal ball and you could see that this future was going to unfold, that this scenario was going to happen, this is the playbook that you would pull out. Now, the key here is you don't know which of these scenarios will happen. So you look across all of these strategies that you developed and you pull out the commonalities between them. What are the no-brainer, must-do, no-regret moves that are common across all of them? Because you know, no matter what scenario happens, this is something we need to do. And that gives me some amount of comfort to know that even though I don't know how the world is going to evolve, there are things that I can do today to prepare for it. Now, time passes. As you move forward within the next quarter, the situation changes. You now have more information about which of these scenarios are going to become more true. Some of them may get elevated. Some of those may be less likely to happen. And you develop and refine your strategies and, again, find what are the no regrets actions to take. This is an iterative process where you're dealing with uncertainty on a regular basis and using the discipline of scenario planning to be able to figure out how to deal with that uncertainty. One of the most important tools that you will have throughout this entire process of dealing with uncertainty is your strong sense of purpose and how it's reflected in your manifesto. Because the scenarios are things that are happening within the environment. You can't control those, but you can control the actions you take as a result of the things that are happening. But always having that guiding North Star 
that tells you this is where we're heading is absolutely key. Let me give you a personal example. When the pandemic hit, much of my work was around speaking. Publicly speaking at conferences, I was traveling all the time. And of course, all of that went away. So I was sitting at home, looking at the situation, the pandemic, going, what do I do now? This is a huge amount of uncertainty. And what I did is I pulled up my manifesto. I pulled out all the reasons of why I exist, all of the ways that I help leaders thrive with disruption. And I realized speaking was just one of those ways. And I developed several scenarios. One was that this is going to be quick. Everything was just going to come back. Another scenario is this is going to drag out through the year. Another one was this is going to be with us for a long time. We're not going to be able to gather together in these conferences and my speaking was going to fundamentally change. When I looked across all of those scenarios, the one key thing that came out across all of them was that regardless of what happened, I needed to demonstrate that I could speak virtually to understand what does it mean to be able to connect with audiences in a Zoom room, which is very different than in a real room. So what did I decide to do? I decided to start live streaming. Now, this would not be the normal place you would go, but I felt it was the perfect way to be able to develop this capability, but also carry out my manifesto, which was, again, all geared around helping leaders thrive with disruption. And in the midst of the largest disruption that hit us, live streaming was, for me, the fastest, best way to connect with the people who needed to hear it. Why is it that we resist change? Why is it such a human reaction to see change and immediately push back against it? It's because of uncertainty, which we hate. We don't like uncertainty because it opens up the possibility of failure and with that shame. And at the core, our resistance to change comes down to these underlying emotions of fear and shame. And what are we really, in the end, afraid of? We're afraid of looking bad, of feeling embarrassed. And when we look at what's really holding people back from change in your organization, it is that. How will they look? Will they be embarrassed because things haven't worked out? That they don't know what's going on? That they feel like a foreigner inside of this new organization because they don't know how they fit in? If you want to make sure that change happens, you have to deal with these emotions. It is not that they don't want to change. They just don't know how to put those emotions into the context of this new organization, of the new change. So again, leadership is about understanding where people are coming from, knowing what barriers stand in the way, and providing the foundations and that scaffolding, that trust and that relationship to say, I understand this fear. I understand the concern that you have, and you're going to be okay because I will be with you every step of the way. I'm not going to let you stand out there by yourself. If things don't work out, I'm not going to let you fall and fail. And you may feel embarrassment that you don't know all the answers, but we will work together to make sure that you get the answers and so therefore can feel power in this new world. Rule number seven, overcome the resistance to change. Hey there. Thanks for listening to the new rules of disruption. We created this podcast with the hope that you would be inspired to become a disruptor. 
Disruptors don't just blow things up, they also create and build things that result in huge positive change. This is a change that the world needs now more than ever. And we want to hear about what change you are creating in this world. You can send us your disruptor story by visiting charlenelee.com slash podcast. That's C-H-A-R-L-E-N-E-L-I.com slash podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, I have one major ask. Please share it with a coworker, manager, or a friend. Let's build communities of disruption together.